You're listening to Shift Happens Empower Hour. My name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. And that was Queen, a good old tune that I used to listen to quite a bit. Is this the world that we created? And that was kind of going through my mind. I don't know about you folks out in radio land, but that was going through my mind for a good part of this summer as we looked at the smoke and all of the other chaos that was going on in the world. And as I said in the first hour, Anna and I went to Victoria. I was there for, I guess, four or five days, and you were gone for, what, eight days, something like that? Mm -hmm. And so the reason why we went, actually, I just kind of tagged along. Anna went to a... International Association of Public Participation Conference. I'm, I'm glad you filled that in because <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to say it. Anyway, I went along for the ride. Uh, it's been quite a while since I've had a holiday. And I thought, what the hell? I mean, what, what the heck? And so, yeah, my experience was a little bit different from hers. She was tied up in meetings for pretty much the whole time, at least that I was there. Mm -hmm. But I took the opportunity to just hang out in the city itself. Wander the streets of Victoria. Yeah, and hung out with some friends that I hadn't seen in, in a long time as well. But uh, yeah, so what we thought is we were going to share our experiences and our perspectives on that particular trip. Yeah, I mean, as you said, we have been talking to people throughout the summer about this whole idea of of uh, Armageddon keeps coming up. Yeah. You know, it, and not that I believe that Armageddon is on the horizon, but it's just it made me realize how impacted people have been by this smoke and the, uh, you know, the lack yeah. of light, the lack of sunlight. I must admit it was pretty depressing for, for me. The wor world of twilight we lived in this summer. Yeah, I mean, it affected the garden. The garden hardly grew anything uh, during that time period anyway, because was, there wasn't very much light coming through. It wasn't ripening, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think we shared with you guys, uh, for those of you who listen on a regular basis, um, we had to bug out as well, or or the potential was there. We were put on evacuation alert. Yeah, yeah. because someone, and I don't know who did it, but someone started that fire. And uh, it was only a couple kilometers away from where we live. And with the speed at which fire can travel, especially when it's windy, our reality could have been quite different. So we're really grateful for the fact that it didn't happen and that we... The speedy response of the fire department yeah. locally... Absolutely really. amazing. They surrounded it with sprinklers um, because the helicopters couldn't come yeah. in because it was so overcast. Well, it was so smoky. There wasn't yeah. enough visibility. Yeah. So they were amazing. They they hiked down into the valley with pumps and hoses and sprinklers mm -hmm. on their backs. Mm -hmm. So Leonard Kaisley, we love you. The whole <laughs> yeah. community does, or at least where we are. So uh, I think everybody loves you anyway, so... If you're listening, <laughs> we tip our hat to you. Yeah. Anyway, so th it kind of got us started this whole uh, summer. Started on the conversation of why is it when faced with such obvious uh, evidence of the uh, danger we're facing, really, yeah. in terms of climate change, yeah. As well as other things, why is it that it's so difficult for people to act differently? What's what's with the apathy? Mm -hmm. And you had some uh, publications. Well, w one book that we were loaned uh, by a friend. Yeah. Well, we, actually, we, two different ones. Yeah, there's this one wasn't a loan. This one was a gift. Yeah. I was thinking of the other one, but yeah, this one's called "The Earth Wants You" by Reverend Billy. Talon. And he's he's no reverend. No, trust me on he's that a fake. one. Yeah, but uh, I was going to say, aren't they all? But I shouldn't say something like that. But I just did. He, so, oh well. <laughs> this guy travels around uh, playing an evangelist preacher, 
who is preaching on behalf of the planet. Yeah. So what I wanted to do, there's like four pages from, it's a really tiny book. Okay. But uh, I wanted to read four pages from this because I thought the listeners who are at least on the same wavelength as us, I think you'd appreciate it. Uh, The very introduction says, our old ones were talking about this and they were saying that there is coming a time when the earth will rise up because she needs to cleanse herself. And it could go one of two ways. The earth rises up and then the people rise up with her. Or the earth rises up and the people don't. And when they fall away, and, or, and then they fall away and then they are no longer here. And that was a prophecy by Deborah White Plume of the Lakota Nation. And it was retold at Occupy Wall Street. And anyway, so I'll just read a couple pages from this. I really like it, and I I highly recommend. It's called The Earth Wants You by Reverend Billy. So here we go. Life in these times is like being trapped in a tower of Babel that echoes with pleas for help. Emails and texts and self-addressed stamped envelopes, algorithmic requests for donations, help us save the children, save the world, save me. One of the pleas is especially impressive, dramatized by really amazing special effects with trillion-dollar budgets and the tragic collateral damage of countless lives lost to storms, floods, droughts, and fires. Oh, I see. It's a message from Earth itself. Let's entertain the idea that the Earth wants to communicate directly with us humans. That's a little hard to take, isn't it? Who thinks of the earth as having needs, moods, health problems, and even some kind of strategic intelligence? The earth communicates? The earth speaks? If the earth is saying something with its climate chaos and extinction wave, what is it? Whatever it might be, the consumer culture of the United States will have none of it. Public figures refuse to repeat what the bad weather is saying. At one point, recently, more than half of the counties in the country were in federally certified states of emergency. And yet the American media machine was so silent on the matter that you had to ask yourself, who's the censor? If the earth is indeed speaking to us, we've chosen to demote that talk into tabloid scandal, teleprompter speechifying, and the local eyewitness news. No, that's wrong. The censorship censorship eh, can't talk. The censorship is our actual condition. It's this dazzled, exhausted life we lead. We have 78 things to do today, and if we have any real choice left, it's which of these eight kinds of milk will we buy? The censor of the earth's message is consumerism, which invented this new kind of taboo. Our life is none of our business while busyness is our life. The corporations know they must keep the earth away from us, mediate between this primal force and you and I. Yes, the earth is an unreliable comrade roaming around darkly out there beyond the economy of buying and selling. What's miraculous is that even in this controlled mental environment of consumerism and its virulent subset, militarism, some individuals still sense the earth behind the wall. We can still hear a message in the sound of the wind and the leaves. If we are in the right mood, a babbling brook can be a down or downright articulate. The belief that the earth speaks is the strong force at the center of the universe of this book. Every sentence assumes it. In the church of stop shopping, we believe that the earth is the new source of new language and meaning. New stories are coming to us in this wind, fire, and flood. Our radical performance community, the Stop Shopping Choir, translates the bad weather into song lyrics, singing out from rooftops and fire escapes, in bank lobbies and museums, in front of big box stores and at mountaintop removal sites. Our job is to sing and preach the inspiring message delivered by the latest disaster. What is that message? Is the earth daring us with its impossible upheavals to re-enter the scary story of evolution? 
How do we take the actions we need to take to save ourselves in the natural world, which is poised to overpower the world of greed that raised us? We ask the force of life on earth, and this is our only defense. Can you make us as radical as you are? Anyway, I just found it really quite touching and I get choked up when I read stuff like this. That's why I'm kind of stumbling all over myself. Um, it's really difficult, I have to say. It's like um, we've talked about a show that we really enjoyed on Netflix called Sense8. And the premise of the show is the, the characters of the show seem to have an extra level of feeling. Extra of interconnection. Interconnection amongst themselves and also of what's going on in the world. And I don't know if it's an artist thing or whatever, but I find it really quite overwhelming when I see the things that go on in the world and everyone seems to be oblivious to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I totally do. Um, One of the things that uh, came up for me after getting back from the conference, all of the people who went... Uh, as part of this Patient Voices Network, which is what I went with, mm-hmm. um, were discussing what they learned from the experience. And so what we were talking about was, we were talking with mostly uh, uh, professionals of public engagement, people who get hired by governments and corporations to engage the public when they want their input on decision-making. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, so often the only people who are willing to speak to them are what they call the crazies, the, you know, the extremists. And, and so what happens is the, the people at the top who are making these decisions, they get conditioned to simply block out the noise. They, yeah. You know, what they want is reason discourse and what they get is is yelling in opposition. And this is so much, I think, a part of the problem is, you know, this lack of critical thinking. When you talk about things like this, where the earth is, is clearly speaking to us about mm-hmm. uh, the state of things and, you know, any logical, reasonable person would go, hmm, Maybe we should change what we're doing, but instead we get involved in these yelling matches uh, between two polar opposite views, and we don't actually talk about the facts. We, you know, I don't know. We we seem to hold a position and entrench in it, and then there is no, there's no problem solving going on. There's just yelling. Yeah. Well, and you talked about how. They said that there was no critical thinking. Well, they, they said well, one of right? the, the major obstacles to involving the public in the decision-making process, I mean, let's face it, we all know that we seriously need to change the system. It's been quite evident that the current system of government is incapable of reacting appropriately and in a timely manner when we have critical issues coming up that, you know, that threaten human survival. If we had an effective system of government, we would have acted in the 80s, not now. And we aren't even acting now. I mean, we have people like Ford and Trump trying to pretend like we should still be emitting methane in massive doses. (laughs) It's bizarre to me. But what we need if we are going to really change the system to something that is more effective at dealing with these crises is critical thinking. We need people who are capable of analyzing the problems and coming up with solutions. And it's not about following someone else. I mean, we were talking about this in the drive coming to the station today. If everyone was truly using their brains and being logical and using a, a critical thinking process, mm-hmm. you would think, you would assume that they would all come to the same conclusion. Yeah. They can all come from different backgrounds, blah, blah, blah. But in the end... There is, there are solutions that are... Yes. 
Yes. And, and what seems to be an obstacle to that is when we take a position and entrench in it instead yeah. of actually looking at uh, the problem solving process that as collaborative, we, we seem to think that it, you know, it's, it's us or them, it's win mm-hmm. lose, it's this, this whole, um, lack of actual collaborative, problem solving in the public domain it, it's it's getting ridiculous it's well i think part of it too is um and we haven't even touched on this yet but self-righteousness mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. everyone when they get caught in these battles they're pointing the finger at someone else saying i'm right and you're an idiot mm-hmm. and the truth of the matter is we're all right and we're all idiots <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And no no political party, no organization, yeah. no society, not even the Green Party has all the answers. Yeah. The only way, and that's something that we talked about over and over and over again in in this conference, is when you have the whole spectrum of opinion on a topic. That's when you can really come up with the the best solutions. Because yeah. when you try to approach a problem from the perspective of all of the interested parties, when you try to accommodate as many individual solutions in your one solution as possible, you come up with great, mm-hmm. great answers to problems. But you can't do that if you're going, well, you're a Republican, so you're stupid. Yeah. Or whatever the the opposite position is to yours. It's it's really time we transcend these these entrenched positions. And you can see also why a sitting government is going to be in resistance to getting feedback because like you say, if if they're used to the quote unquote crazies. Mm-hmm shouting at the top of their lungs, it's really easy to just say, okay, uh, we'll, you know, we have to let them speak their mind, but we're not going to listen to it. But, you know, one of the things that somebody brought up, one of the patient partners that I went with was, if more people participate in the public discourse, it dilutes the voices of the crazies. Yeah. Okay, so yes, we need Especially if it's a balanced discussion that they're having, that they're initiating. Often, the, the people who are yelling loudly and are identified as crazies are actually presenting concerns that we all hold but aren't speaking to. And so they Um, feel that they have to speak that much louder. Yes, and they're often speaking in such a strident tone that that people tend to ignore them. But if more of us engage in the process, it it becomes a lot harder to just categorize us as crazies and not take into account our opinions. Mm -hmm. But this... We we are in a time when people need to start coming at these problems in a collaborative manner, not, uh, you know, our old paradigm of you know, standing on the sidewalk and holding a sign. Yeah, that, that held some purpose, yeah. but it only took it to the point of ringing the alarm bells, not finding the solutions. Well, and that's where the online petition organizations have come. They have come in handy. They have. I know they for have. myself, it's nice to be able to participate in some yeah. of these these uh, well these posts and see what the actual end result is. And some of the more effective organizations have yeah. taken it beyond the petition yeah. and have actually begun working with policymakers and advocating for solutions. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a really good movement because I, I felt like for a period of time there, well, you know, I sign these peti- petitions over and over and over again, but really what happens? Um, and and really, how much effort do I make mm-hmm. in in signing a petition? But the reason I got involved in the Patient Voices Network is because it's something that I can speak to, something that I have enough experience with that I feel that my voice... 
can actually impact the system. I can actually yeah. engage. And, you know, the medical industry is one of the industries that is recognizing the need to involve patients and their families in the decision-making process. But it's by far, you know, it, it, this is one of many organizations. Transportation is another big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Especially in the cities. And I think it's a really positive uh, direction we're going in with government as well. In we have these online tools now. We can actually engage the public in debates about what we should do. I mean, you look at, okay, one of the federal public engagements that I think went sideways was the whole engagement on um, proportional representation. Right. Actually, one of the the uh, P2, as they call them, the pr- public participation professionals, uh, with the Privy Council and the federal government. It's a lot of peace. Spo- I know. Spoke at this conference and admitted that there were a couple of engagements recently that have really gone sideways. One was the, the whole pipeline issue and one was the um, proportional representation. But, well, of course it went sideways. It was pushed down everyone's throat. Well, it, it, I think that they did a bad job of of framing the questions mm-hmm. um, so that people couldn't easily identify what they were getting at. Um, I think they were trying to find a, a solution by correlating everybody's answers to general questions, but mm-hmm. they just ended up confusing people. And and so what they kept pressing was the difference between uh, a, a proportional representation, which would most often result in a minority government, um, where they would have what they called lack of accountability because no one party makes a decision. But real in reality... It makes it far more democratic. It is far more democratic. Yeah. But people kept reacting to this lack of accountability. And I personally think... I didn't sit in on the Privy Council um, lecture about uh, the patient or the um, public participation process in, in that situation. But I think that the party in power chose to slant the questions in such a way that people would uh, answer the way that they wanted. And yeah, that's normal. That's typical. It's not in any party's best interest if they are currently in power mm-hmm. to change to a proportional representation system because they'll lose seats and they know it. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, if we don't start uh, changing this per- current political system to one that is more representational we don't have a hope we can't we can't keep going at it from this perspective of one party trying to make as many changes as possible in four years until another party comes in and, and undoes it. Undoes it, exactly. A proportional representation yeah. system means that all parties are at the table all the time. Mm-hmm. In an ongoing sense, I mean, maybe there will be different levels of participation in different after different elections, but they are all there all the time, accountable all the time mm-hmm. for an ongoing process. So it seems to me that that is a much more desirable potential. But it still isn't perfect. I mean, we have a minority government in BC right now, but Site C still went through. Yeah. And, yeah, that's a. But we don't know what's going on behind the scenes either. There could have been some strong arm techniques on the part of Americans uh, because they're the ones benefiting a lot from that particular yeah. site, or, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult or practically impossible to know what the, the situation was there and why a yeah. party that was apparently against Site C throughout the whole process suddenly proved it. But again, I mean, we've seen this time and time again. I mean, I've shared my opinions of Justin Trudeau on air several times. I don't think he's evil. I don't think he's bad, whatever. I think 
he genuinely wanted to change things when he first was in office, when he was running for prime minister. But the problem is, is that it's the money. It's always, it always comes down to the ones that are funding I think the, that the political right? process currently has been hijacked by corporations. And it doesn't matter where it is. And corporations are, by definition, psychopathic. Yeah. They act in their own best interests, not in the public best interest. They have actually no business being in government. Yeah. Certainly not having as much influence over government as they currently have. Mm-hmm. That's another huge problem that we have both in the States and in Canada and, well, obviously in Europe too. And so what we've seen is all kinds of slash and burn for budgets that are impacting we the people, the the little guy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I wanted to share. I mean, you were at this series of meetings and for me, I walked the street and um, I have to say it it was a mixed bag of cookies. I was surrounded by opulence. I mean, this is the capital of B.C., and you see really fancy hotels, fancy restaurants, blah, 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 fancy cars, blah, blah, blah. We stayed in a fancy hotel, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the juxtaposition of that compared to what the life that I saw on the street was really huge. And I have to say, I, I it was this combination of Yes, this is a lovely holiday, but it's also a a very rude, brutal um, pushing in my face of what our society is. And so here we have, this is where the government rules and they totally ignore the homeless, the, the the people that need help the most. And and again, watching people in their fancy $1,000 plus, you know, street clothes, whatever, walking by and totally ignoring the people living on the street was a real hard thing to watch because I look at the world, I see myself as one with everything. And I'm one with that homeless person. Mm-hmm. And... I've shared my experience in the past. My self-hatred was so great in the past, in my early 20s, that I almost ended up living on the street myself. And so I was just like one or two steps away from being in that reality. And I think most people are. <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I did end up interviewing a young man, and I'm going to share that interview within the next week or two. At least that's the plan. And yeah, it was a a very, it was a very poignant discussion and it brought back so many memories for myself. And I projected myself onto Thaddeus was his name and uh, his choice, his decision he was an all or nothing kind of guy and would not compromise himself. And he ended up living on the street as a result. And I went through that very same process. And thankfully, I didn't go all the way down mm-hmm. and living on the street because that is a very difficult situation to break out of mm-hmm. when you can no longer have a place where you can sleep. I mean, he was concerned about people stealing his stuff. It's not that he had a lot of stuff, but um, he was an artist and he would work on on his creative and then people would mess with him. And, and we're talking not street people, but um, I don't know if they were college frat boys or whatever, but um, yeah, it just made me totally disgusted what this young man was suffering. And anyway, so that was difficult, but it was really a good experience for me because, again, yes, it was reminding me of the past and it made me super grateful for what I do have and what I have had for for many years. 
And it was good for me to, and good for him in particular, to be seen mm-hmm. instead of me just walking by and here he is just a homeless guy sitting on the sidewalk with his backpack and all of that. Um, I actually stopped and said, hi, I'm Jeff. We just watched a movie. Yeah, incredible movie, actually. It was on Netflix. And, you know, we've mentioned Netflix a number of times. We don't make any money off of recommending (laughs) Netflix, but um, I have to say, I mean, I know uh, purists out there think Netflix is evil and all of that, but I look at the kind of programs, the kind of movies that they've produced with the money that they've made. And I think, hey, they're, they're trying to make a difference in the world. What was it called? Um, you're the s- same different as I am, I think it is. Something like it's that. It's with Greg Kinnear. Yeah, and it, the, a line in that. So it was about a, a wealthy couple yeah. who engaged with a homeless man. Yeah, it, and this couple had had their problems. He, he was... Uh, yeah. Yeah. What that, that yeah, I mean that was somewhat but. somewhat related to the story but yeah. not so much. But what this fellow said is, you know, you think when you're giving someone who's homeless, you give them money or you give them food or whatever, you you yeah. um you stop when you see them on the street and you and you look at them and you give them something. Mhm. You think that what you're doing is giving them a meal or or a warm place to sleep for the night or whatever, yeah. but that's not it. What you're giving them is the recognition. You're seeing them. Yes. And what many homeless people deal with every day is invisibility. Yes. Is sitting on the street with hundreds of people walking by. Mm-hmm not looking at them, not acknowledging that they even exist. Yeah. And what you did with Thaddeus was sit down and put a camera in front of the two of you and have a conversation and gave him the opportunity to be seen. And he was very appreciative of it as well. I mean, I could see it in his eyes and he told me flat out um, that this was very empowering for him. And And what did it cost you? A couple of hours. Exactly. And I promised that I would share his story and for whoever would listen. And uh, that was really important to do. And um, yeah, so if we all had the willingness to look outside of our comfort zones. And for so many of us too, it's like homeless people are a reminder of how close we are. Mm -hmm. We literally are one paycheck. For many of us, we're one paycheck away from living on the street ourselves. And so it makes it a very brutal reality. And I think that's one of the things that goes through people's minds and why they want to tune it out is because of that very fact. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is that, yeah, I mean, we're all in the same boat together. And, and that's the thing. I mean, you look at what's going on on a global level in terms of climate change. Well, rich and poor, we all were breathing the same smoke. Mm-hmm. I guess the rich have, a, have it a little bit air better. Filters. <laughs> well, air filters or they can screw off to some uh, nice hot place or whatever in the Pacific or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they have the luxury to be able to change their location and wait it out. And so I guess from that standpoint, it's not the same. But ultimately, it's catching up to all of us and we're all sensitive to that. And one of the things that I wanted to share, too, while Anna was at this, uh, this uh, conference. conference, I don't know why I keep forgetting the word. IAP2. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, um, I went to a couple IMAX shows, and one of them was about... Pandas. Uh, pandas as well as um, walruses. Oh. And they talked about... 
Um, and they showed the footage of how with so little ice, ice. now, right? Mm-hmm. Sea ice. That the uh, little ones were getting picked off by polar bears. And so, and I think I might have mentioned this last week. Everything was such a blur last week. I was hoping against hope that Anna was actually <laughs> going to land. So if I'm repeating myself, if I'm repeating myself, if I'm repeating myself, forgive me. But anyway, um, it was just, it was the look in the eye of this mother walrus. I mean, they had focused on the the relationship of this one walrus with her baby and what she was willing to do to to protect her child. Is our walruses pups as well as I seals? think so. I think so. Anyway, um just the look in the eye of this creature. I mean, it was so obvious that there was love in those eyes. And hardcore whatever listeners think I'm projecting and home anthropomorphizing. But honestly, there's no way by looking into the eyes of that creature. I mean, you could just see that she was she would do anything to be there for her child. And to save it from death. Yes. And so I'm thinking on a global level, okay, the decisions that we make or the lack of decisions. I mean, on this station, you get a lot of information about the evils going on in the world. Uh, You know, early in the morning, you can listen to Democracy Now! There's all kinds of information that you can be privy to as far as what's really going on in the world. But it's a whole other thing to be listening passively to what's going on and then actually taking action. And in terms of action or not taking action, um, it had been many years since we have been on an airplane. Mm -hmm. And that was by conscious choice. And that was, again, the, the, the situation for me when I ended up almost on the street. It was after I was very, very successful in my life. I was very successful in my career. But ultimately, I saw that what I was doing was not having any kind of ultimate positive impact on the world. It was good for my bottom line, but it was not good for Mm -hmm. the collective. And I felt bad for that. I felt guilty for that. I walked away from a lot of money and I imploded on myself like I, this storm uh, overtook my mind and my heart. And that's why I ended up in that situation. But then I, I realize now that I allowed the pendulum to swing too far. Because if you totally step off and totally detach and, and not try to have any kind of negative impact on the world it also affects your positive ability to be positive, right? Right, okay. Yeah, and so here we are coming from the Kootenays, and for many of us, it's a poverty consciousness. And the reason for that is, is, I mean, you have a lot of people that are like us, they wanted a different way of living. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to participate. They don't want to participate in the machine. And so we all hang out together, but there's not a really rocking economy here. And so it forces you to be creative. It forces you to budget <laughs> that much more. Uh, and I don't have any regret about that. I, 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 don't, I don't think I have to apologize for the choices that I've made, except for maybe to myself and to you, right? Um, I could have chosen differently, and I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I don't regret any of the choices we made either. But it is time, and I think for all of us, and we are preaching to the choir here, I think, it is time for all of us to start embracing some abundance for ourselves, not to hoard it, not to be 
the next. But to share it. Exactly. So if, if you have the ability to create abundance for yourself and you can take care of you and your own and with the excess that you have, if you can share that, if you can make a difference, and it doesn't always have to be money, it can just be your time, but actually take action. Time is abundance. You know, that's the one yeah. thing that we have chosen to do is to work half time so that we can volunteer the other half. Yeah. And, um, and that, I feel, is sharing an abundance. Yes. And I don't know. It's, um, it was really difficult. Um, as I said, this was the first plane, plane ride. And, I, I, hey, I'm a plane freak. I, I, when I was a kid, I had all, you know, books upon books of all the planes that have ever existed. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe typical little boy. And I wanted to be a pilot and all the other stuff. But I realized just how much of an impact that air travel has on climate. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just a conscious choice. And that's the thing. I, I was in industries where I was required to use those kinds of methods of transportation. And I realized that, okay, um, I, I do have to throw out the baby with the bathwater more or less. And so I felt almost guilty getting on the plane. Right. Did you not? Uh, maybe. No, no. I don't know if it's my religious uh, upbringing or what, but. Uh, you know, I, with everything that you do, you have to balance it. You, I mean, I, just driving here every week, I think, yeah. oh, you know, I, yeah. I really don't want to drive this distance. But then on the other hand, um, living Further away from Nelson is less expensive, so I can afford to spend time doing things for other people. So it's kind of a balance. And you have to say, well, um, you balance out your choices with what's the greater good, you know? And so flying there for me was, well, I'm going to this place to learn about um, how to be a more effective participant in the public engagement sector and how to be a more effective patient voice Mm -hmm. to advocate for patients and their families. And I felt that that was a a trade-off that was worth doing. But um, one short thing I wanted to share, coming back from from the conference on the flight, I was sitting with a gentleman who... um, who knows, he may be listening. Um, I won't share his name, but I will share that he owns a fishing camp up on the north coast of British Columbia. And he was telling me that uh, for the last couple of years, they have um, really not been able to catch fish. There haven't been any salmon and there haven't been any schools of fry either. So um, he pretty much knew that there weren't going to be salmon this year because he didn't see the fry last year. And I asked him if he saw any fry in this uh, season and he said no. So likely next year will be the same. And nobody's quite sure. I'm sure there are many factors in the collapse of the salmon stocks. But what I found surprising is that he said that the uh, fisheries and Oceans, which is the the federal department that is responsible for fish stocks, is doing the exact same thing they did when the East Coast fisheries collapsed. They are ignoring the fact that there aren't... As a matter of fact, he said that the commercial fisheries weren't able to catch their quota last year because they just couldn't find that many fish. And so instead of closing the season and saying, okay, well, we have to acknowledge that maybe the quota was too high, they lengthened the season so that they could have more time to catch the fish that they had set as the quota. Even though they were, it was so bad that the they couldn't find that many fish, and they have continued to do this. And this fellow said, you know, as a partner in a fishing camp, they're given a certain quota. The sport fisheries business is given a certain quota, and they also have not met their um, 
catch limits because they just yeah. can't find the fish. And so in addition to extending the season for the commercial fisheries, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans actually added the quota from the sport fisheries to the commercial fisheries because the commercial fisheries... And who is paying the DFO? That's yeah. the question, right? So you Another have to- extremely compromised institution. Yeah. But I don't want to say that too loud because they have guns, <laughs> right? Yes, they do, actually. And, um, and I remember a story where Prime Minister Harper was using the DFO as a sort of private police force, yeah. which is a bit scary. But um, what this gentleman was saying is that he's been participating on steering committees, trying to convince the industry to change its mind and cut back seriously or close the uh, salmon fisheries yeah. altogether for a period of time to see if the stocks will recover. And it's not happening. And, and I, so their answer is just keep fishing until there's until no there's fish. Until there's no fish. And, yeah. and they did the exact same thing on the East Coast and, and with plenty of warning in both cases. And I, I, you know, that's another example of how this system that we are a part of is not responding appropriately well, and the problem too is, is we're so disconnected from everything, right? I mean, okay, when we're shopping for food, well, we eat food that we shop for, right? We go to a grocery store, it's under plastic, it's in a can, whatever. Where if we were, so, if we were more in tune with the environment in which we are getting our food, we would be sensitive to the fact, okay, there's no more salmon. So what do we do? Well, you back off and you give them a few years to recover and you eat something else. I mean, what was it? A mm-hmm. black black cod or whatever that was? Oh, yeah. He said that he thinks that the reason for the collapse or one of the reasons for the collapse of the fi- fish, or the salmon, is that there's been this warm blob of water that's been off the north coast of British Columbia and Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's been sitting out there and it has brought up with it a uh, huge number of fish, black cod, I believe it was, that have that aren't normally here and they are eating all the salmon fry. Right. I mean and I mean of course the fry are dealing with leukemia as well in the salmon fishing stocks. They're dealing with the another result um, of fish farming. Fish farms. And Another they're dealing with radiation. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, we, Fukushima is still dumping radioactive water into the oceans. Yeah. So they have a lot of challenges and we are not, we are not responding to those challenges. Well, and again, how do you respond, right? You get involved. Yeah. Like this gentleman, if more people who were in the fisheries industry were willing to stand up and say, this is ridiculous, even if the Department of Fisheries and Oceans doesn't cut back the quota, we're not fishing these fish. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And as I said in my case, I'm getting involved with patient voices because I have experience in the palliative industry and in with working with palliative clients. Yeah. And I know that I can advocate for improvements in that area. Do whatever it is you do um, to make your little segment of the world yeah. a better place. And then we all benefit. That's the only thing we can do. We cannot continue to sit back and wait for governments or corporations to do the right thing because they're not doing it. And that's my piece. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we're getting close to the top of the hour, and I did want to play a, a tune by Lenny Kravitz that I've heard for the first time today. Mm. But before we do that, um, we want to say thank you for listening to the show. We're coming up to the new season, and we're re-upping for yet another season. Our sixth year, I think. So we've done around 250 shows already. And it's been great cutting our teeth and growing and developing as producers, as hosts, whatever. It's helped our relationship in many ways. She realizes that I have a better choice or better <laughs> taste in music, for example. Just kidding. And a better sense of humor. Uh, very much so, yeah. 
But he's not nearly as smart. So. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, we put our heart and soul into this. Uh, and as all of you are aware, this is a labor of love. We don't get paid a dime to do it. And um, it's just something, this is our way. This is our way of trying to make a difference in the world. And yeah. And we thank you for listening. Yeah, and we get a lot of feedback from from you guys. And that's one of the reasons why we keep doing it. Because we do feel that we are becoming a catalyst for people to at least... Think critical differently. Think. Critical thinking, exactly. I mean, how many times do we lecture on this show? I, I, I maybe, maybe they perceive it as a lecture, but we just try to generally share what's going on. To our own perspectives. Our own, yeah, in our own lives. And if something that we say can be a seed that gets you to think in a different way and to take something and improve it and make it better and share it with the collective so that we can all have a heaven-like experience instead of hell. I think that would be a good thing. So anyway, uh, that's my two cents. And do you have anything that you wanted to I think I ranted enough already. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. So yeah, it's really great to be back. I was there for... I guess going on five days and from day one, I was saying, I miss the Kootenays. I miss home. It it did really make it, me realize too how lucky we are to yeah. live in an area that is relatively healthy in many ways. Yeah. Um, we, we're protected from a lot of what's going on in the world. Yeah. But we do have our share of homeless. Yes, we do. And we're not doing enough to help them. Yes. So... That's the show for this week. You better get playing that yeah, song or gonna, people aren't going to hear it. It's called Raise Vibration by Lenny Kravitz. And so we'll play this and say toodaloo and we'll see you next, next week. week. Bye for now. <laughs>